Hello, IPC family. This is Pastor Sam, and um, I am recording now the sermon for March 8th, as well as some prayers to lead us in worship on this day where we unfortunately had to cancel our services due to complications as we figure out the best way of action to go forward. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this, that we would not only continue our study of John 13 through 17 in Lent, but also that we would take time to worship together. Um, I want to encourage everyone to listen to this sermon as a family, as a couple, um, spend time in prayer with friends. Um, you know, we have many options to continue to work in ministry together, and I hope that we take these opportunities even when we're unable to uh, open the doors on a Sunday morning. And so with that, uh, I would like to pray for us, pray for our church, pray for our nation, the world, and then lead us in the meditation today, which will be, uh, I will include the Old Testament reading, New Testament reading, um, the sermon, as well as um, some information at the end. So please, wherever you are, however you may be listening, join me in prayer. Lord, we give you thanks. There is much unknown today. There are as many questions we may have. But God, we know that you are good. We know that you will continue to reign and that you will use even these times for your glory. God, we thank you for this opportunity. Uh, we thank you for technology that allows us to still um, hear and study your word. And we thank you for friends and neighbors, God, that uh, we can still meet together to pray and to discuss your word. Uh, as Christians have forever. And so, God, we give you our efforts and our meditations today. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Our Old Testament reading for today, March 8th, is Psalm 141. You may remember we did this um, a little bit recently, but it is a wonderful psalm and I think aids in our worship and understanding of our gospel reading later. Psalm 141. I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call you. Hear my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Do not watch over the door, excuse me, keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil so that I take part in wicked deeds. Along with those who are evildoers, do not let me eat their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me, that is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, that is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. For my prayer will still be against the deeds of evildoers. Their rulers will be thrown down from the cliffs, and the wicked will learn that my words were well spoken. They will say, as one plows and breaks up the earth, so our bones have been scattered at the mouth of the grave. But keep my, but my eyes are fixed on you, sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. Keep me safe from the traps set by evildoers, from the snares they have laid for me. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by in safety. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading for this day is taken from John 13. As we continue, we will be reading 
John 13, verses 31 to 38. Verse 31. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. This, too, is the word of the Lord. You know, I must confess, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a bit awkward uh, recording a sermon into a computer. Um, it's hard not to see your faces. It's hard not to uh, be there with you. And I'll speak to that in a moment when we talk about loving one another. But I think now what I'd like to do is, is look at this passage and think about this question that Jesus asked Peter. If you look at the question he asked to Peter in verse 38, will you really lay down your life for me? You know, Peter, as we know, is, is a very interesting character, isn't he? Um, Peter and and John sort of have this competition we've seen through the Gospels. But Peter here, really, it's sort of twice now in John 13 that Peter has uh, spoken up and Jesus has rebuked him a little. We saw it with the washing of his feet where Peter didn't want to let Jesus wash his feet. And we also see it now where Peter steps out and says something bold. And Jesus says something very, very harsh back to him. We know this to be true, of course, after the fact. But in the moment... It must have been difficult for Peter. And then in between these two moments with Peter, we have this very difficult moment with Judas. Right? This outward betrayal. What do we do with this? How do we proceed with this? You know, Jesus starts this passage by saying that now, now the Son is glorified. Well, what does that mean? Well, if we look, again, it's coming just off of the passage with Judas's betrayal. There is some measure here that the end is beginning. The Son of Man is indeed glorified, unfortunately, through the betrayal of Judas. Now that Judas had left the room and betrayed him, the wheels are in motion, so to speak. The Son of Man will indeed be glorified, and it's the beginning of the end. And I think... I mean, I try to place myself in this room, right? What must it have been like to have Jesus wash our feet, to have Judas go rushing out to betray Jesus, and then Jesus say this thing? You know, and I think oftentimes we think of this upper room discourse or the discussions they were having as a sadness, as something that was difficult. 
I'm not sure. When I think about this, I think Jesus wants us to think of glory. In, in, in fact, if you look at the passages, we see five mentions of glory in the first two verses. Right? If you look back at uh, verses 31 and 32, when the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him, if God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son and will glorify him at once. There's five times he uses the word glory in this passage, in these first two verses. This is not a sad moment. This is a glorious moment. Jesus understands what this betrayal and what this difficulty will lead to. And this is so poignant because we see in the next verse, what does Jesus call the disciples? My children. Like a, like a parent going to do something great for their children. He's happy to do it. He's happy to endure this thing. Though we know it will be difficult, he refers to the disciples as my children. You know how many times Jesus has done this in other places in the gospel? Zero. This is the only time Jesus refers to his disciples as children. Sure, he is sad to think he is leaving them. He's sad that he has to leave them behind. But this is the beginning of a glorious thing. This is the beginning of a glorious time where Jesus' mission will be fulfilled. And not just fulfilled, but will be extended through the disciples, I think. You know, here, it's, it's amazing. Throughout the Gospels, we have these wonderful instances where we see and glimpse into the humanity of Jesus. Sure, he's a little upset to leave them, and so he calls them affectionately his children. But we know that the glory is coming. He knows that the glory is coming and that this is indeed what God has ordained. These glimpses we see of Jesus' humanity occur throughout Scripture. I think of on the boat when he was sleepy in Mark 4 or 5. I think of when Lazarus passed away and he was sad at the loss of a friend. We see humanity in Jesus. And to be honest with you, I find it very endearing. And he says to them, listen, where I am going, like I told the Jews as well, where I'm going, you, you cannot come. But we know that, and we'll hear it in the coming weeks in John 14, he does indeed begin to tell people, to tell his disciples how we might get to where he is going. We'll get to that. But here, he says, it's not what's most important. What's most important is that you understand it's not about following where I'm going, but about following what I've told you. Right? And what has he told them? What has Jesus left the disciples? What has Jesus shown the disciples above all else? If, if it's not for us now to know how to get to where Jesus is going, what is for us now? Look at verse 34. Love. Love one another as I have loved you. Because if you do this, then everyone will know you are my disciple. And it's difficult to complicate this message. I think oftentimes um, pastors, and myself included, of course, are often tempted to think of a new angle or a new spin or a new interpretation. When I read this, it's pretty simple, isn't it? 
Jesus says, don't worry about where I'm going right now. You should be focused on one thing. And that one thing is love. That one thing is loving others as he has loved us. But this is a simple command that Jesus gives his disciples after affectionately calling them children. He says, listen, there's one thing I want you to do. As parents require their children or ask their children to do many things, he says, this is, this is paramount. This is so important. Love one another. Will we, as disciples of Jesus Christ, be willing to live like this? And not just to love one another, but as Jesus loved us, to love others more than we love ourselves. We often tell children, maybe we need to know it ourselves, that we should, you know, treat others as we want to be treated. I think Jesus is saying that we should do even more. That we should put others above what we want for ourselves. And so when Peter says, Jesus, no, why can't I follow you? He sort of missed it. Jesus says to him, you won't. And Peter says, no, 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 really. I will lay down my very life for you. Whatever you ask, I will love others this way. He says, no, Peter. In fact, what's going to happen is before sun comes up, before the rooster crows three times, you will disown me. Or excuse me, before the rooster crows, you will disown me before sun up. And remember, they're having dinner. In less than 12 hours, Peter, you will disown me three times. You will try, but you will fail. And to Peter's credit, I would like to say that he actually follows when all of the other disciples ran away. Um, he did his best, but Jesus was still right. And so the question we ask ourselves is, will we really do this? Peter couldn't even do it. Will we? I think when we look about this, we have to acknowledge something. You know, we have to acknowledge that this is going to be difficult for us. It's difficult for all of us. But when we look, we, we also look back at our past. We remember that we've all been in this situation where we would say something like this to Jesus. No, I will give my very life. I will move around the world. I will do whatever you ask of me, whatever it might be. I'll be a missionary. I think many Christians often have a missionary phase where they think that they want to drop everything and, and serve Jesus at all costs around the world. And that's fine too, right? But when we think about it, we also then remember the times when maybe we've let Jesus down. Maybe we haven't done the things we said we would do. As Paul said, right, we, we know the things we, we, want, we want to do, but for some reason we don't do them. You know, many of us can look back at our lives and, and see times when we have failed Jesus or when maybe we have denied Jesus as Peter or maybe not directly said that we don't know Jesus, but our actions have shown that we don't know Jesus, and that's difficult. You know, we have these intentions of, of being superstars for Jesus, but then life happens. We encounter trials of many kinds. It's not as glamorous as we thought it might be. Um, other people hurt or say things that hurt us. Um, and this is why Jesus said, and you can read this at the end of Luke chapter 9, Jesus talks about the cost of discipleship, right? He talks about how difficult it will be to follow him. Um, this is true. 
right? When we encounter trials of many kinds, it's following Jesus is not always easy. To follow this command that Jesus gives to, to love one another in such a selfless way is, is very hard. But I want you to think about this as we think about the Lenten season we find ourselves in. You know, we talk about this, I've talked about this in years past. You know, Lent was designed initially for people considering following Jesus or becoming Christians to spend the 40 days leading up to Easter in fasting and study and in prayer. Um, And then at Easter, the church tradition tells us that many new believers would be baptized into the church and would have finally affiliate themselves after serious study and consideration. Um, this is sort of how Lent started. You know, the church was guiding new people to say, hey, following Jesus is difficult. Laying your life down for one another is difficult. Let's spend some time thinking about this to be sure, to really make sure we are on board with identifying with Christ. Because to identify with Christ is to identify with this command right here. It's to identify to say, I, in fact, will lay my life down for others. I will love others more than I love myself. I will give others more than I take for myself. Because as Jesus says, this is how the world will know you are his disciple. And so our very identification with Jesus is rooted in our self-sacrifice to one another. This is what Jesus was commanding the disciples. To identify with him based on how he lived his life. And in John 14, as I mentioned, we see Jesus does tell us that he's going to prepare a place for us. And that is an encouraging thought. But we're not going to that place yet. It is not our time to go and be in the Father's house just yet. If we are still on this earth and still breathing, it is not our time yet. So then what Jesus calls us to do as his disciples is to identify with his life, which was a life of service and love. And Jesus says it's simple but so difficult. The one way to do this is to love. The second half of verse 34, so you must Love one another. This is how we lay our life down for Jesus. Love so much that it leads to death of yourself. And we know the areas we can do this. We know the areas we ought to do this. For myself personally, I think of family. Not my immediate family per se, but I think of my extended family back in the United States. I've always sort of moved around a lot. I've always sort of gone and done my own thing. And I think of how often I forget to reach out to and love my family, to pray for them, to try to make time to talk with them. Even just sending text messages, it's hard for me sometimes. I can show love for my extended family that way. I think of friends. Um, How many of us when we finally have a day off or we finally have some downtime, just want to be home or just want to have some quiet downtime. But we know that our friends maybe are equally stressed or our friends maybe are equally having a difficult season and and that it would mean the world to them to, to reach out and spend time with them. Maybe it's the church. Maybe you see this church, IPC, or the worldwide church 
and you think, I need to love my brothers and sisters in church more, I need to serve more, I need to be more involved. Church, I cannot emphasize this enough, how wonderful it is to be involved in serving and loving one another here inside the church. In fact, this has been our focus for the whole year, this theme of in for the up, in, and out. How are we loving and serving one another? How are we identifying with one another by laying our lives down? Even in this goofy situation we find ourselves in where we've canceled church and I'm preaching to a computer screen. We're sitting at home listening to it. Maybe we're on the train. What are things we can do to serve one another? Maybe it's use Sunday afternoon or a a day in the evening this week to have a family from IPC over to make a meal for someone, to maybe even sit and listen to the sermon and discuss it. Maybe just spend time praying together. Maybe use this time in the coming weeks of uncertainty to meet in home groups. You know, maybe it's for the stranger. Maybe you hear of someone in your village, a neighbor who is quarantined, who's come back from a situation where they have to be home alone for two weeks. Maybe you could bring them groceries. I don't know. But when we talk about love, God has given us an infinite, an infinite amount of ways to love and care for one another. And if you need any guidance, all all we must do is read through the Gospels of Jesus Christ and read how he treated and loved one another, how he broke bread and had meals with people that other people didn't want to have meals with, how he went out, healed the sick, cared for the poor. There's much we can do. In fact, church, I would argue that we have more than a lifetime of work still to do. And that is why we are focusing on this in. Because if we don't love family, if we don't love each other within the church, how can we be expected to love the people outside of the church? How can we do these things? You know, and I would like to add another point here that as we talk about this simple command of love, We often in the church will wonder, how can we overcome sin? I have so many things in my own life that are so difficult and that weigh so heavily on me. How could I ever think of loving someone else when I have so much that I need to work through in my life? I need to work on me first. Well, church, let me encourage you. When I read this, I don't see Jesus saying, work on you first and then love. I think one of Jesus' points in this, I think one of Jesus' intentions in this was to say, love one another, and by doing so, you will overcome a multitude of sins. By loving one another, we will show the world we are his disciples. I don't know about you, but I often find that I am tempted most often by sin, or by doubt, or by struggle, when I'm left by myself. When I'm being selfish and thinking only about myself. But when I go out to serve and to love and to care for my neighbor and my family, I'm too busy. (laughs) I'm giving of my time and energy in ways that are productive, and I find that I'm no longer as tempted by the things that tempted me when I was only worried about myself. And so it's almost as if Jesus has built in a model of overcoming sin by serving and loving one another. You know, C.S. Lewis even said this about prayer in his book, Letters to Malcolm. He said one of the best 
responses or reactions to prayer is that it gets our hearts and our minds off of ourselves. And that when we pray for others and pray to God, we think about the things God thinks about and we think about others and their needs rather than ourselves and our own needs. I mean, look at our Old Testament reading, our Psalm 141. In Psalm 141, verse 5, the psalmist says, Let a righteous man strike me, that is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, that is oil on my head. Church, let Jesus rebuke you here. Let Jesus show you that you can love more. Let this Lenten season be a time where you actively are seeking to love more fully. I think about this passage. I think about these disciples and Peter saying, why can't I follow you? And Jesus answering Peter, will you really lay your life down for me? Um, you know, when I was young, as many of you know, of course, I grew up in the United States and um, where shootings and violence can be a big problem. And, um, you know, many of these shootings or some school violence actually started when I was a teenager. In 1999, I was 15 years old, and that was when the Columbine shooting happened in, in Littleton, Colorado, the Columbine High School shooting. It was the first major um, school shooting uh, of, the, of, of recent generations. And um, it was a scary time as a student. You know, you this happens and you sort of identify with it. But there was one thing that came from it that really affected me as a young person. I had recently come to Christ a few years prior and was sort of trying to figure out what does this mean? And how do we live this way? How do we live in a way that honors Jesus? And there's a story that came out afterwards. In fact, the book was, was written by the mother of the student. Um, some of the shooters were going around and asking people whether or not they believed in God. And reports were showing that the shooters were actually discriminating against those who were religious or those who were athletes, those who they were angry with. And um, the story goes that there was a, a young woman um, who was hiding, and as the shooters came around, uh, they were asking people if they believed in God. And this one young woman, just very matter-of-factly, when they asked her, she said yes, that she did believe in God, and witnesses say that they shot her. And I remember being 14 or 15 years old, 15, and, and hearing this story and thinking, this is what Peter's saying. I would lay down my life for you. And thinking, would I really do that? And if I'm honest, church, at the time, I wasn't sure that I would. Not only that I may struggle with the courage, but also that in the face of temptation and turmoil, I've turned my back on God before. Now, Lord willing, none of us are in this position. But this is what Jesus is saying to Peter, and this is what he's saying to us. If you want to lay your life down for Jesus, if you want to lay your life down for me, Jesus says, do it by loving one another. You know, we don't need to follow him now. Jesus has prepared a place for us. We can have that hope. But if we want to overcome sin in our lives, if we want to overcome doubt, if we want to overcome fear, if we want to truly 
be a church that identifies as disciples of Jesus Christ above all else, then this is the command Jesus says to his disciples, to his children, as a parent would give a departing address to a child, love one another. Remember, Jesus calls his disciples his children. Verse 33, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, you cannot, where I'm going, you cannot come. So, until we meet again, love one another. I always, to this day, however many years later, 20 years later, 20 plus years later from this shooting, think, would I have the courage to say yes? And if the answer is yes, I would, then what more could anything in this life take? What more circumstance could anything in this life take from you and from me? Nothing. Because Christ has promised us all we need. A simple truth that Jesus reminds us before he leaves this earth is that we ought to love one another as he loved us. And so, church, my hope and my prayer for us is even amidst uncertainty of this season in life, with coronavirus and who knows what will happen in the future, um, that we would love one another. Whether it's inside the walls of a church, in our village, with our family, with our friends, lay your lives down for those around you. And by doing so, you will not only identify with Christ, but he will bless you richly and you will see the fullness of following and serving him. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this command. Thank you for who you are. May we as a church bow down before this truth. Lord, we love you. We give you thanks for guiding us. And we pray that we would remember these words. And in difficult and uncertain times, here or later, Father, that we would hold fast as your children and love one another. Amen. Uh, well, church, I would encourage you um, as you go and worship to do a couple of things. One, um, I would encourage you to spend some time in prayer. Um, each week we have the prayers of the people, and maybe it would be a fun activity for you this week with your family or your friends, um, whoever you maybe are worshiping with, to come up with the prayers of the people for you. What does God put on your heart? Uh, one thing I sometimes say that's a helpful guideline is think about big to small. So you can pray for the world. You can pray for situations around the world. You can pray for Switzerland. You can pray for your city. You can pray for your village. You can pray for your home, all the way down to your families uh, and sort of work your way down that way. Um, so, yeah, I encourage you to, to, to spend time this week in prayer for what God has put on your heart. And I would hope that that prayer then sends you out to love uh, more fully and more graciously as Christ has commanded. Um, and as we did not get a chance to meet in person this week, there are some announcements I'd like to make you aware of. Um, just as a heads up, there will be, for those who drive into church, uh, there will be some parking um, changes and there will be a flyer that will explain all the different parking issues. And so please check the uh, church website um, and uh, be aware of that in the coming weeks as we're able to meet again, hopefully, um, for those who drive into church. 
as well, um, remember that there is a prayer chain. If you have direct prayer needs, we would love to pray for you and with you. Uh, and so let the prayer chain know. You can either email the deacons at IPC or I believe there's also a prayer chain email. Um, or the Hennings family will be in charge of the prayer chain in the coming week as well. So please email them. And if you need that information, just email the office and they'll have prayer info. Uh, additionally, we have a woman's retreat coming up soon. Um, and though we did not have a verbal announcement in church today, there is info on the website. And um, I believe this is going to be a great opportunity for the women in the church to come and come together and uh, study God's word and fellowship together. And so with that, um, I would also ask that as a church, you would pray for the church council. The meeting to or the decision to not meet today was met with many heavy hearts and, and prayer and discussion. And we will actually be meeting this week as a church council to discuss um, future plans. And so as a church family here at IPC, my hope and prayer is that we would pray for one another and that you would pray for the church council and the elders as uh, we all meet together on Tuesday, I think, to discuss these things and to come up with a plan that will keep all IPC family safe, both the old and the young, and um, one that also complies with governance and uh, that puts us in a situation where we can not only gather together and worship, but be above board in all we say and do as members of this community uh, here in Zurich as a whole. So please keep us in your prayers. Um, thank you for worshiping with us as best we can right now. And uh, I hope and pray that the Lord blesses you and shows you more of his love and glory this week that you might go and do the same with this world. Uh, amen and go in peace.